for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you've stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review about your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by giving online at believerschurch.tv. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We're located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. This is probably, this, this fourth message today in this series is probably, well, I will, say, I will say it is definitely the most important. It might not be the best, but it's definitely the most important because of the Great Commission and what we are called to do. And I, I stand up here today and I'm able to worship, not because I go to church on a regular basis, and not because I'm a pastor, but because of the tedious process every single day of discipleship and learning more and more and more and practicing the discipline when I would rather watch a movie, practicing the discipline after I'm, I'm tired and, and I've, I've had a long day of spending time with Jesus. We are nothing without that. And we can have church services every single week and remain completely unchanged. It's really important to understand. It's believed by many uh, people that church, the church, no longer has a pulse or is a functioning part of American society. By saying this, I'm talking about the church as a place of transformative life change. Instead, if you talk to most people, and especially young people, but also people as we're getting older, they're going to look at us as outdated. All right, This was an important part of American life at one time, but now it's not necessarily so important. Our landscape is scattered with churches that are dying or closing as, pastor, as pastors and parishioners or lay people like you guys are asking why. And this is essentially what Dad covered in his message last week when he talked about the condition of the church, specifically in the denomination that he represents, in the United States of America. I'd like to propose that any time the church is viewed as a weekend event instead of a disciple-making engine for the transformation of the world, we are going to have problems. And we're seeing this. It's not an accident that the church looks the way that it does today. Now, this becomes especially complicated, and it becomes complicated because our thought process, our ministries, and our budget are all gathered or geared toward a weekend production instead of a holistic seven-day-a-week transformed lifestyle. 
All right, this is a mission statement that I've, and you have it on your Connect card, but a mission statement that I've started to talk uh, to, the, to the biblical leadership team about if I were to go forward as, as the lead pastor eventually, but to help broken people become devoted followers of Jesus. Uh, not to help broken people become good people or to help broken people start attending our church every single week but to help broken people become devoted followers of Jesus. We're in the fourth part of a six-week series on the church called Rethink Church. We are challenging everyone to rethink this social institution known as the church. And as I've said every week, this applies to all of us and, and, and even people that are not here today, people that are listening online right now, or maybe even people that are not listening, meaning that it applies to people who have been in church their entire lives, but maybe they don't see this, this body and this movement for what it's actually supposed to be. It certainly applies to people who feel as if they've been burned by the church and they're no longer attending. It applies to those that believe they are super intelligent and have figured out this entire flawed, messed up, corrupted system. It applies to those who have never even thought about church for the first time. So they don't have to rethink church, but they can just think about church for the first time. So it's for everyone. All right, so I'd like to share a story with you today. We're going to be in Acts chapter 11. That's where we've been for this series, has been the book of Acts. I'd like to share a story with you this morning about a special time in the church in Antioch where many people are coming to know Christ of both Jewish and Gentile descent. Keep in mind, two weeks ago, whenever I was, whenever I was here the last time, we talked in Acts 10 about this, this message being introduced to non-Jews or, or what we would call Gentile people. So this is a very, very special time. In fact, this time was so incredible that they needed a special preacher or a special leader or pastor to come in. All right, so Barnabas comes in to oversee this amazing growth that is happening in this church in Antioch, because quite frankly, it's so surreal, it's so incredible, that they're just not exactly sure what to do, so they bring in someone that has a little bit of experience handling these kinds of things. But Barnabas recognizes, this is important, that as wonderful as numerical growth is, and it's great, numerical growth is a good thing. It is only sustainable over time through full-fledged commitment to the process of discipleship. Otherwise, and we see this in a lot of churches in our country as well as other countries, you have a church full of religious consumers but you don't necessarily have a church of life-changing disciples. All right, and a consumer is a person that comes in and says, well, I love this church just because of the music. Or I love this church because they have a wonderful kids' ministry for my kids. Well, I love this church just because of the pastor and no other reason. But there's not actually a life change and an investment in their own personal heart and in their lives. They are consumers. In other words, they are always receiving but they are never pouring out and giving because only disciples really understand how to do this. So this is what we are missing today. 
because the church growth movement of the 80s and 90s has been more concerned with filling seats than the planned, difficult work of discipleship. All right, something I can tell you is a story that's just, it's just a very, very common thing. It is actually fun for a pastor, a preacher, to develop a message. All right, and one thing that a pastor or a preacher lives for is the opportunity on Sundays to preach. And if they go two or three Sundays without preaching, they really miss it and they feel like they have to get back in the pulpit and they feel that to be the most important part of their job. All right, so that's kind of how we've created church. And the way that we bring people in is that you hear what is hopefully a, a great pastor, a wonderful pastor, give a great message. So we've surrendered all of the spiritual disciplines, all of the tedious work of discipleship to the pulpit. So what we've done is we've given a tremendous amount of power and authority to one individual, what this person says goes, but and, and you know what? Preparing a sermon, preaching week in and week out, uh, doing this work, getting to stand up here, it's enjoyable, it's fun, but it's a pretty quick process. And the reason that we're avoiding the process of discipleship is because it is a very slow, very hard, very tedious, very strategic mission. But if it's not part of the church, as it's not part of 90% of churches, we end up in the mess uh, that we're in today. So you wonder why. What's happened? Is America just going to hell? Are we just in a corrupt society now? Are we making all these mistakes because we're doing this and we're doing that? No, the church is failing. The church is not showing the light. The church is not showing the salt. We're not teaching our people how to be disciples in the world. So what they do is they come here, they feel like they've got their Sunday morning experience, they're going to make it through the week, and then they're going to get their kernel of knowledge the following Sunday. Jesus never intended that. That is not the work of the gospel. Yet over time, through comfort, through repetition, through a certain way of doing things, this is what we have, and we're missing the mark. Are you with me? All right, good. Now, 11, chapter 11, we're going to look at verses 19 through 26, Okay. Now, those who were scattered as a result of the trouble that occurred because of Stephen, Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. So they're scattered everywhere. They proclaimed the word only to the Jews. Among them were some people from Cyprus and Cyrene. They entered Antioch and began to proclaim the good news about the Lord Jesus also to Jews who, didn't speak, uh, who spoke Greek, meaning the Gentiles. The Lord's power was with them. We see the critical power of the Holy Spirit through this entire narrative that Luke writes. And a large number of people came to believe and turned to the Lord. That's another consistency that we keep seeing over and over. That when people are not trying to control things, and they submit everything over to the authority and the power of God, lives are going to change. And this is what we see occurring. When the church in Jerusalem heard about this, they sent Barnabas to Antioch because they thought, we've never seen anything break out like this. We better send in reinforcements to Antioch because this doesn't happen in Antioch. When he arrived and saw evidence of God's grace, he saw the evidence there. This isn't just a fluke. This is the grace. He was overjoyed and encouraged everyone to remain fully committed to the Lord. 
Barnabas responded in, his, in this way because he was a good man whom the Holy Spirit had endowed with exceptional faith, meaning he was qualified. A considerable number of people were added to the Lord again. So he gets there to, to monitor and take care of all of this growth. And then because of his faith, and we see that the power of the Lord is upon him, so many other people start to come to God. Barnabas went to Tarsus because he couldn't do all the work himself in search of Saul, who was there for training, who will later become Paul. When he went to, Tar- when he went to Tarsus, I'm sorry, when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. They were there for a whole year, meeting with the church and teaching large numbers of people. It was in Antioch when the disciples were first labeled Christians. All right, so on the surface, this passage seems to sensationalize the amazement of growing large numbers and seeing people experience conversions. Now, this is true, all right, to to a great degree. But I want us to note something that's easy to miss or even ignore. And this is the most important thing that we need to see today. Barnabas tells the people of Antioch to remain in the Lord. All right, he tells them to remain in the Lord. This is significant. Notice that Barnabas doesn't suddenly think, we've got all these people out here. Now, now let's figure out how to go get more people. No, because he understands that the people that have just accepted Christ... The people that have just accepted this message need a certain level of teaching. People are continuing to come to this environment. But before we go get more people, we have to teach these people how to structure a church, how to be disciples of Jesus, and this is what we miss all of the time. So this is what he says and exactly what brought him in. This is verse 23. When he arrived and saw evidence of God's grace, he saw it there, he was overjoyed. Can you imagine how thrilled you are? Maybe things had started to calm down a little bit in Jerusalem. I don't know exactly what that looked like. But he hears about this ministry. He hears about this opportunity to go. He gets to, have you guys ever been? And I'm not, I don't know, maybe it's happened in this church, maybe it hasn't. Maybe it's been at a conference that you've been at. Maybe it's been another church that you've visited. But you've seen just maybe hundreds if not thousands of Christ followers all together in one place worshiping, and you're overjoyed because of the camaraderie and the togetherness that you feel in that room. So that's the emotion that's going through him. And he encouraged everyone as they're doing this amongst all of the emotion to remain fully committed to the Lord. Our church is, churches are full of people, and now regularly every other Sunday or once a month is considered regular attendance, that is not being fully committed to the Lord. And if what you get here on Sunday is the extent of what you get throughout the week, and you're not in this book, and you don't have an intentional prayer life, you don't have the other spiritual disciplines that we'll talk about that you're practicing on a regular basis, you are not fully committed to the Lord, and that's why everything slows down or stops which is what we're seeing in many, many environments. So the spread of the faith and the growth of the church was because people experienced something that completely infiltrated their way of existence. Barnabas was among those that we read about in Acts 2 that prayed and broke bread together and gave to everyone else as they had needs. So he was part of this original 
root group, this original group that really saw the movement start to happen. So that's what he's bringing with him. Now this right here is very important. Barnabas was a fully committed follower, not a fully committed attender. And this means everything. There is a difference between a fully committed follower seven days a week and a fully committed attender. Some of you boast and you brag and you're, you're wondering why the church is dying and you're saying, because I'm there every single Sunday. And you want to know something? Not only am I there every single Sunday, but I volunteer and I help out. And, and maybe you tithe and I try to help the church move. But if you look at every other day of the week, which it should actually be more intentional than Sunday because you're actually on the mission field, your life doesn't look like that. It doesn't measure up to that. So this brings about a question. It brings about a few questions. What is our calling? What is our deepest purpose? What is at the heart of the church? What is it that we are supposed to do? We'll sum it up with one word that we've already used. Remain. Remain. Parmeno in Greek. The word is used six times in the New Testament. And every time it has similar usage. And it's this right here. Make a commitment, future tense. All right? Not present. And certainly not past. Make a commitment, future tense, to stay where you are and continue doing what you're doing. Oh, well, the church got ugly and somebody hurt my feelings. Oh, well, this particular book of the Bible is a little bit too difficult, so I'm going to start doing this. I'm going through some things in my personal life, so I'm just going to take a break. All right? The church is becoming more corrupted, so I'm going to do this individualized, spiritualized version of my faith that is outside of the body. No, that is not what Barnabas is saying. Barnabas is saying, remain. He would be saying if he were to, here today to every single person at Believer's Church and every single person that is listening online that our responsibility as followers of Jesus is to remain. Parmeno is closely related to Mino that we see in John 15. If you're familiar with John 15, it's when Jesus explains himself as the vine and we are the branches. Notice that the vine and the branches are never detached. All right, a closely related word that we see there, not remain, but abide. Abide in me. Constantly trust in me. Constantly walk with me. Through every movie that you're watching, through every uh, moment that you're spending with your children, for every drive that you have to work, for every date night that you have with your spouse, when you're in the shower, when you're brushing your teeth, when you're cleaning your house, abide in me, remain in me at all times. Why is the church the way that it is? Are we really confused about that? And we sit around in these spiritual think tanks trying to find ways to get more people to come in by, by throwing everything but the kitchen sink at them? So pathetic. It's embarrassing because our people are not remaining they're not abiding. They're not walking in this. And you want to know something? It's not really your fault in some cases. Because your leadership 
including your pastor, if I'm going to put my feet to the fire, sometimes we're not teaching you how to do that. Sometimes we're not teaching you how to do that. So how can you always understand, especially if you're a new Christian, how you're supposed to do these things? It's easy to fall away. It's easy to, to fall away from remaining. I'm a, a parent of three awesome kids, and, and they are young right now. But there's a possibility that as they get older, that they could make some mistakes. All right? Very possible. Some serious mistakes. Some mistakes that make me question a lot of things. But I don't get to give up on them. I don't get to no longer be their parent. I don't get to step out of the situation. Instead, regardless of the situation they go to, go through, I have to adapt. I have to evolve. And I have to learn new creative ways of how to be a dad. All right? So I imagine as Barnabas looked in front of him that day, overjoyed and encouraged, he had these thoughts. This is amazing. Look at this. Look at all these people. I remember when, when Beth and I were in, at our church in eastern Kentucky, we went from one service to two services. And less than a year after that, we went from two services to three services. And between services, there was all this traffic going back and forth, and the place was buzzing with energy and everybody excited. And we thought, this is so cool. This is amazing. But this is also what he's saying. In order for this to come to full fruition and be what it's supposed to be, we must develop patterns and a process so that people can remain. If we don't do that, the back door is just as wide as the front door. And they're going to go right back out. So we teach people how to remain. At Believer's Church, please hear this because this is practical. It will be our task to learn and practice the spiritual disciplines together. All right? What am I talking about? Prayer, scripture reading, fasting, silence and solitude, worship, giving, serving, hospitality, gratitude, the spiritual disciplines. It will be our task and our goal to learn these together. Number two, when we baptize someone like Jared a couple weeks ago, it will be our responsibility to teach these individuals how to remain. Now, Jared, you got your ticket to heaven. Good luck. Here's your beginner's Bible. Take it and we'll see you later. No. Kids ministry. Then eventually student ministry. And everything that we do, small group ministry, must be wrapped around teaching people the spiritual discipline so that they can practically follow Jesus in their everyday lives. It will also be our task to focus our time, energy, and finances toward building a way of life and not a weekend experience. Notice also, and this is, this is really hard for us, okay, because we're in a culture of instant. Everything has to be instant. We can't wait next week for the show. We've got to stream it. We've got to get our food fast. 
We've got to get our information fast. Everything that you want to know is at your fingertips. Americans like things quick. But notice also that growth is a committed process, not a sudden reality. You know what I was thinking about? And I I can promise you, based on being in several different places in ministry, I'm going to make you a promise. I would rather be in this room right now or pastor any church with 12 committed followers of Jesus than a thousand religious consumers. And I am being completely honest. Numbers mean nothing to me anymore. And if we dwindle down because of the hard work of following Jesus, Jesus changed the world with 12 people. What do you get with a thousand religious consumers? A lot of emails. A lot of complaints. I'll take the 12. All right? So size as far as numerical growth is is not as important. Uh, Verses 25 and and, and 26. Barnabas went to Tarsus in search of Saul. He knew he needed reinforcement. Saul is also, who's going to be Paul, is also waiting. He's also in his period of time that he's growing into the faith. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. They were there for a whole year. Were they there for a week? No. Were they there for for six weeks? No. They were there for a whole year meeting with the church and, and, and teaching a large number of people. It was in Antioch where the disciples were first labeled Christians from, from the way that, that, that dad, the, the, the name dad mentioned last week with the way, which was the original name for Christians. All right, now please understand this. This was not a weekend revival. You know how you bring people in for a weekend revival and then everybody gets fired up and then that fire starts to kind of go away slowly and slowly and slowly. This was not a weekend revival. This is not a four-day spiritual retreat. This is not a conference All right, this is essentially what Barnabas and Saul are saying. We are going to stay with you, Antioch, until you are firmly rooted. We are going to stay with you until that moment. And when you are rooted enough to lead yourself, whenever the brothers and the sisters of the faith are stepping up and they're gaining that spiritual maturity and they're going to fight this thing and they're ready to go, we're going to go somewhere else and we're going to plant. All right? But it's the process. And this is how the church became the church. The church did not become the church by a huge weekend revival. Tons of people are converted and the leadership just takes off. It was the tedious, slow process of the seed that is underground, that is going to grow to full fruition through the process of discipleship. I love what we do here on Sunday mornings. I love the people, really love the worship. It gets me fired up. It really prepares my heart before I come up here to speak. But I am much more concerned in the development of individuals when they're on their own. And as you go through the difficulty of your week. So the church, I believe, seems dead irrelevant and unimportant because faith in Jesus has been reduced to a weekend experience. You've heard the common phrase, rise to the occasion. 
I know that you've heard that before. If you get a new job or if you're going through a particularly stressful time in your life, she needs to rise to the occasion. This is your chance. You could get this promotion. You really need to rise to the occasion. You've heard that before. Navy SEALs, they don't like this phrase, rise to the occasion. In fact, they say this. This is great. We don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. We don't rise to our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. What does that mean? Constant discipline. Constant work. A rigorous schedule within the spiritual disciplines. You don't have to worry about rising to the occasion because you're already there. Your spouse gets sick. Four or five members of your family have COVID all of a sudden. You've lost your job. You've been diagnosed with a horrible illness. Your life has completely changed. You don't have to rise to that occasion. If you're prepared, you fall to your training. And you see, this is where the church has to be when people get their feelings hurt. This is where the church has to be when we go through a difficult season of time. And what this means is that a life of continued discipline will always yield strong and predictable results. Not just attending church on Sunday, not a weekend experience, but a life of continued discipline as difficult as it is, that's why it's called discipline, will always yield strong and predictable results. I'll never forget hearing Kobe Bryant say, I'm a Celtics fan, so, so to the late Kobe Bryant, it's very difficult for me to even tell this story, to be completely honest with you. But I'll, I'll, I'll never forget when he was asked about taking the last shot in a game. All right, Kobe hit more game winners, and even in the playoffs than just about anybody that I've ever seen. Can you imagine the pressure? Thousands of people. The game is on the line. Everybody on the other team knows that the ball is going to Kobe. All right, so someone asks him, how do you handle that pressure? How do you handle that whenever you know the game is on the line and you've got to make that shot? And he's got this smile on his face. And he said, that looks like pressure to you. But what you don't understand is that I've rehearsed this moment thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of times in my life since I was a kid. I was in the driveway counting down the seconds. I've been in the Forum and in the Staples Center over and over and again rehearsing this moment. So what you see is pressure? I'm just stepping into something that I've rehearsed thousands and thousands of times. This is the word of God. This is a focused, intentional prayer life. This is stepping out of Netflix. This is stepping out of Instagram. This is stepping outside of all of the junk that the world tells you. This is stepping outside of my best days are behind me. And you're stepping into moments that you've rehearsed over and over and over and over again in the darkest moments of your life. 
Is it stressful? Yeah. Are there some difficulties because it's difficult? Yeah. But I've been taking that shot since I was a kid. I know that my God delivers. I know the promises. And I know that he's going to take care of me. A growing church requires people that are growing in faith. And this only happens through a big budget? No. Through a good worship band? No. Through a charismatic pastor? Never. Through disciplined patterns in the body. Every single day. Otherwise, you're depending on me and you're putting expectations on Tyler and other people in this church we will never live up to. And you can take that to the bank every single time. We are not rising to the occasion in COVID-19. We are falling on our discipline training. And the reason that so many churches are scattered, the reason that so many churches are concerned about the future is because the discipline training was never there. So here's the million-dollar question that we arrive at today. How do we move faith from a weekend experience, from a Sunday service, to a lifestyle and a daily experience? We have to rethink church. We have to rethink the way that we've always done it. Three practical things that we can start doing. The first is this. We must make the spiritual disciplines practical. All right? We must make the spiritual disciplines practical. So when we're talking about the spiritual disciplines, we're talking about scripture reading, prayer, giving, serving, fasting, worship, silence and solitude. We have to teach people how to do these important things. Again, this is not just about preaching. Everybody wants to look at everything about the Sunday service. This is not just about four or five worship songs. This is about daily patterns that are ingrained into your life that if you don't understand well enough, the leadership of this church has the responsibility of teaching you spiritual formation. Formation in the kingdom of God is not optional. You know, a, a praise team versus a choir, that, that, that's an option. How your pastor preaches or maybe what translation of the Bible. There's a lot of things that are optional. Spiritual formation at its core and teaching people how to follow Jesus is not optional. The second thing that we must do, and listen, this is really tough right now. Because the biblical leadership team has met. We wanted to, to get small groups started in the fall. We had this, this big surge of this virus again. So we decided that right now is not the time. But what we must do, and there will be a time that we can do this easier and better. We must create and sustain intentional community. All right, we must create and sustain intentional community. I understand that we live in the most individualistic country that the world has ever known. And I understand that a lot of people say that they are spiritual but not religious, and they don't like organized religion. That's just an excuse for doing it your own way. And that is not the gospel. We are a body for better or worse in the good, the bad, and the ugly I need the person in this church that may like me the least. We have to lock arms. 
And we have to lock arms more, going back to the, the second message about unity, we have to lock arms more than, than, than ever. So what the future of this church needs as a central part of vision is a deeply, deeply strong small group ministry and relationships in which men can talk together. Married couples can meet together. People who have struggled with addiction can talk together. And just as iron sharpens iron, we sharpen one another through the power of the gospel, Proverbs 27, 17. But we almost move, and people really don't like this, we must move from being consumers to being investors. All right, what's the difference? Consumers take. Investors see that bucket over there and they give. Consumers come in and say, well, I didn't really get, this is what they say when they leave sometimes. And I know that you've said this when I've preached and when, when other people have preached. I just didn't get fed today. He didn't feed me. Feed yourself. Amen. Feed yourself. Seven days a week. And when you come here, pour into others. I'm still going to preach, but and, and I'll try to feed you. So selfish. So self-centered. That's how we are as Americans. They didn't take care of me. They didn't feed me. If you're in the Word, if you have a prayer life that looks like it's what, it, what it's supposed to, you're not going to come in here with that mentality. You're going to come in here with them. You're not going to think, well, I hope he really, hope he nails it today. We need a good sermon today. It's been a, been a hard week. Where, where are you praying? What, what's your intentional prayer place? What does your life look like? Consumers. We need to be investors for the kingdom of God. Because if we do these things, we are rethinking church. I'd like to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And as we have, as, as Justin lightly plays, as we, as we have just a, a short moment of, of silence here, I'm going to give you guys some, some interesting questions, some things that I want you to think about. What does my time, I want you to think about this, what does my time in the Word of God, in Scripture, look like right now? I've even talked to uh, pastors, uh, some friends that I meet with regularly uh, that are in different states, and they've told me it's rough during this COVID season that they're not in the Word the way that they need to be in the Word, and they're, they're struggling with some stuff like, like most of us are. What's your study plan right now? Or if you're like me, the way that I prefer to do it, what's the book of the Bible that you're going through? Who is holding you accountable for this? How many times this week, outside of Sunday morning, have you opened up the Word of God just to pour into you? Are you pouring into your children? That's your number one responsibility. Are you pouring into your kids? Now this one. What's your prayer life like? Is it just a quick prayer before you go to bed at night? Is it, God, please get me out of this mess? Is he just your therapist? When was the last time you prayed for others? 
and intentionally got alone with God with no noise, no phone, and you really had time alone with God. There are so many other things that we could talk about. Worship, giving, prayer, or worship, giving, fasting, so many others. But I want to focus just on those two this morning, and I would like for this morning to be a time of repentance. A time of understanding that this is not a time to feel guilty because you've fallen a little short, but it is a time of redemption for you to begin freshly tomorrow. If you'll take out that connect card before you leave and you'll say, Matt, I I don't know about a study plan. I've honestly not read the Bible enough. I need you to help me with a place to start. I'm going to do it. I'm really not sure how to pray, Matt. I'm... I, I, I just don't know if I'm doing it the right way. I always feel distracted. Would you put it on that connect card so that I can contact you early in the week? Can reach out to you and help you? Father, we come to you this morning knowing that there is repentance and confession in the room right now. Father, I don't know the last time I fasted. And God, I find myself missing days and and, and days can turn into more days. And God, a weekend service is never going to be enough for me. Help us to be intentional with our time. Knowing, Father, that we are only as strong as a church as we are when we are locked in as a body of faithful believers together. We lift you up and praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.